They'll look at me like I'm one step above a scam artist, which, by the way, you're one step below me in Ponzi schemes if you introduce yourself as, <laughs> as, as a syndication specialist, right? So all of a sudden, he started to do this. And then he started... What I found with Shane is he would start educating a customer. He felt like it was a job to teach them about syndication. A customer doesn't want to hear that. It's overwhelming. You don't download 10 years, five years, six months worth of education about syndication to a client. Because now, firstly, they'll go and do it with someone else if they've got a better deal. But secondly, they'll go home scratching their head and going, I'm too busy for this. That's exhausting. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Matthew Pollard. And today we're talking about his system, his concept, his idea, the introvert's edge, both in sales, marketing, and networking. And this is critical for real estate investors out there. If you're out there, you're doing real estate deals, you're not, but you're not closing quite as many as you need to. If you want to get to the next level, these skills can help you out very much, especially if you identify as an introvert. Identifying as an introvert has gotten much more common these days. People are kind of proud to say that they identify as an introvert, and there's nothing wrong with that. I would say I identify as an introvert as well as you know many others out there. And these skills that Matthew is going to teach you today will help you do more in real estate. They're going to help you close more deals. They're going to help you raise more money. If you're somebody that's out there raising money for real estate deals, he's going to help you avoid a lot of common pitfalls that you might be stepping into right now, mistakes that you're making right now in deals. Matthew's going to help you avoid those in the future. So much great information on this one. He and I spoke for a half an hour before we started recording. We spoke for a half an hour on the recording. And I tell you what, I could have spoken with him for days and days and days, or frankly, listened to him for days and days and days. So you're getting a lot of information, energy, and knowledge in this one. Really appreciate him enjoying us, uh, joining us Excuse me, on the show. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you're interested in learning more and potentially interested in investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call with me, and I'll look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcast. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. I say this every time. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. No matter what podcast app you use, if you do enjoy the show, look us up, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Matthew Pollard. A lot of great lessons about sales, marketing, and networking for introverts in this one with a little twist for those of us who are real estate investors. If you want to go further, this is the interview to listen to. Without any further ado, here we go. Matthew, thank you for joining us today. Man, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm ecstatic to be on. Hey, man, you've provided so much value for me here in the last half hour we've been talking. And for our listeners, I know you're going to provide a lot today for them as well. For those out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about yourself, your books, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So for those people that are listening that consider themselves introverts, then this episode is definitely going to be for you. Uh, if you have a syndication business that you just can't seem to get off the ground, perhaps you're tired of people hearing the word syndication and then feeling like you're doing something that isn't quite legitimate, this episode is definitely going to be for you because we're going to be talking about 
you know, my journey as an introvert, we're going to be talking about how I obtained rapid growth in my businesses. I've been responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. We're going to be talking about, you know, how I've helped people in the syndication space obtain rapid growth by not using the word syndication and by leveraging the power of story. This is all stuff that I learned by actual happenstance. So for me, I actually, I started in a door-to-door sales role after losing my job just before Christmas. I was a super introverted kid in high school. I had a reading speed of a sixth grade. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and actually started in real estate. The job, that was the job that I lost, but I wasn't a real estate agent. I was a person in the back office doing data entry. I had that year to find myself. Well, anyway, that all fell apart. I ended up in commission-only sales. After five days product training and not a single second of sales training, I get thrown on this road and I'm like, get told, go sell. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. So I took this deep breath and I went in and I was luckily enough politely told to leave. Then shortly after that, I was sworn at. Then I was told to get a real job. Uh, My favorite was always getting told to get a real job, by the way, because I mean, it was the only job I could get. It was Christmas (laughs) in Australia. We take a month off, right? No one's hiring. So door after door, this happened. And until my 93rd door, I made my first sale. And I remember I made about $70. And I was ecstatic for 45 seconds until I realized I got to do this again tomorrow. I got to do this here and the next day. Not okay. And anyway, long story short, I taught myself how to sell watching YouTube videos. And I just focused eight hours out in the field, practicing what I'd learned, and then eight hours in the field, learning the next thing and trying to think through how to apply it to what I did. By the way, this probably doesn't sound like fun to anyone because that's like 16-hour days, weekends, I'd spend 16 hours practicing. And the day after day, it'd get better. Soon it was 48 doors, then it was 36 doors, then it was 21, then it was 18, then it was nine. Eventually, I got it down to making a sale on average every three doors. About six weeks in, my manager pulls me aside and he's like, I, look, I thought I was in trouble. I, th- I, I thought my, I mean, I was the quiet guy to hand in my paperwork in downstairs. I didn't talk to anyone upstairs why they bragged about those sales that they closed and how tough the market was getting. Turns out I was the number one salesperson in the company. They just got their national sales figures. And this was the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. So that was about six weeks in. So they naturally thought, wow, you know how to manage. I have no idea why they think if you can sell, you can manage. <laughs> No clue. I got given 20 sales reps and now I'm in the management crew. I'm like, I don't know how to manage. And they're like, don't worry. We just throw mud up against the wall and we see what sticks. Before that, I must have been the mud. Now I know this. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay, I, I don't know what to do. All 20 people quit. My whole training crew twit, quit within the space of 24 hours. But I went back to YouTube. I learned to manage. I got pretty good at it. I got promoted about seven times, then started up my own business. And you know, the rest is history. I mean, I, I moved to the United States in 2014. I wrote a book called The Introvert's Edge, uh, which has now sold 65,000 copies in 16 languages and uh, led to the sequel, The Introvert's Edge to Networking. And now I spend my life talking about how people can obtain rapid growth in their business. By the way, it's not by getting better at your functional skill. You're probably already amazing at that. It's around the what I call differentiation, niche marketing and sales systemization. We'll, We'll talk about, you know, how those work. But, you know, it's also, especially for those people that are a little bit quieter, that perhaps don't feel like they've got that natural gift of gab, I want you to know that that's actually an advantage because my personal belief is introverts can outsell, out-network, out-public speak their extroverted counterparts. And the reason being is we don't wing it, but we need to plan and prepare. Otherwise, we're going to be terrible at those activities. Nice. Okay. There's so there's so much there. We were talking before we were recording about how being an introvert or identifying as an introvert has become kind of a hot button thing or, or kind of the, the sexy thing these days where people it's, it's kind of cool to say you're an introvert, whether or not it's, it's true, but you know, that's, that's interesting. So regarding mapping these things out and, and planning these conversations before you have them, how can you do that deliberately and, and 
know that you're going to re- get results rather than kind of just making things up on your own. Cause you really know how it's going to go. Right. So how can you map that out without, you know, wasting time basically and guessing about the future? Absolutely. So firstly, there's probably a lot of people that are listening. Like, I'm not even sure if I'm an introvert or an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we're going to talk about planning and preparation. It's not that extroverts can't learn these activities. As a matter of fact, you know, Brian Tracy talks about the fact that the top 10% of all sales performers have a planned presentation, right? The bottom 80% just, you know, say whatever comes out of their mouth. By the way, that little 10% in between, those are probably extroverts that can't stop talking about how amazing a salesperson that they are. <laughs> but the problem is that without a system, an introverted salesperson is terrible at selling. By the way, if you're talking about raising money, if you're talking somebody into giving up their selling their home, if you're trying to do a deal with lots of different independent investors, you're selling. You may not know it. You may like not, not like to think about that, but that's exactly what you're doing. And sales isn't a dirty word, by the way. Sales should mean to serve. That's where the word was derived from. The original Scandinavian term was to serve others. And salespeople's job is to serve others. And if you're thinking about commercial real estate syndication, I mean, I've got, we've got an example I might talk about later about a syndicator I worked with that, you know, focused on doctors. The number of doctors that have invested in restaurants and lost all of their money, trust me, you are serving them if you get them involved in a, in a syndication deal. That being said, if you're wondering whether you fit on the introverted or the extroverted scale, it's really about where you draw your energy from. The number of times I've heard, oh, I used to be introverted, but don't worry, I'm an extroverted now. Like, firstly, you can't change. And secondly, it's not a bad thing to be one or the other. An extrovert has skills gaps. Some might say they're not the best listeners. Some might say that they're not the most empathetic, but they can learn those skills. An introvert, has great empathy, but a lot of times is terrible at sales. The problem is that they just think that they can't do it. And it's not true. It just takes planning and preparation. So let's talk about that. Well, actually, let's quickly mention. So it's where you draw your energy from that makes you an introvert or an extrovert. If you draw your energy from being out with people, you're likely an extrovert. If you draw your energy from being by yourself or with a small group of others, you're likely an introvert. For me, you might get the sense that I'm an extrovert because I'm so articulate in this show. At least I hope you think I'm articulate. No, I'm actually going to be exhausted after this because I draw my energy from being by myself. I don't like the big lights that are on me right now. And this conversation requires me to be completely on, even though I know it's a one-on-one conversation. It's with somebody that we had a great conversation for 30 minutes, but I don't know him that well. And I'm trying to impress everyone listening, right? At least that's what my emotional brain telling me I have to do. So because of that, my energy levels are going to be depleted because I'm an introvert. It doesn't mean I can't do it. So how do I do it? The answer is I plan and I prepare. Now, firstly, that doesn't mean that you learn how to sell by reading every book on the topic of sales. That's what I call busy procrastination, trying to avoid the act of actually doing it. What you need to do, though, is not wing things because as an introvert and truthfully, as an extrovert, if you wing things, you're never in proving. You're just relying on your personality to succeed or fail. Sometimes you'll have good days. Sometimes you'll have bad days. And that is not a strategy for business growth. And it's not a strategy for your emotional state. Because when you have that bad day, right, you feel horrible. When you have that great day, you feel terrific. There's a, there's a condition called bipolar. That's kind of what it's associated, it's like, right? You don't want to be that person. So you want to systemize. You want to process what you do. So how do you do that? Well, the truth is, I have a book called The Introvert's Edge, which focuses on sales. Don't worry, you don't have to buy the book. The first chapter, which you can get at theintrovertsedge.com, literally maps out the entire seven steps to a sales process. If you do nothing more than add, download, you know, write down the first seven steps, put what you currently say into that, you'll realize, firstly, some things don't fit. 
throw that out. You shouldn't be saying it to customers. You realize there's some things that are out of order. You realize there's some gaping holes, usually around telling great stories, which by the way, if you sell something as jargon rich as syndication, you better be using stories to get rid of the jargon out of your sales pitches, or it's going to go horribly wrong, or you're going to hear that, let me think about it, which is going to happen way too often, and then you'll get ghosted. Once you've done that, you'll double your sales, triple your sales in the next you know, 30 to 60 days. Now, you don't need to listen to me. I hate the fact that most people believe introverts can't sell, while most of the high-level sales teachers happen to be introverted. You look at people like Zig Ziglar. He was an introverted. He wrote a few books. Jeb Blunt happens to be introverted. He wrote a few books. Mark Hunter is introverted. He wrote a few books. Lee Sells. The list goes on and on and on. Surprisingly, if you look at the top 10 sales performers on the global gurus list, which I'm ecstatic to be on, you'll find that more than half of them are probably introverted. Why? Because the top 10% of all sales performers have a planned presentation. So what you need to do is plan. My suggestion is what you find when it comes to networking, which I also have a book on, public speaking, sales, it doesn't matter if it's me that's your mentor. It only matters that you find an introverted mentor so you can believe that what they'll do works for you because introverts struggle with bulldog techniques and hard closes. But once you find a single mentor, grab their system and learn that. What you want to have in your head, though, is like the uh, T-Model Ford, right? You want to get the car off the production line, right? It doesn't matter. Remember, he's saying you can have any color car you want as long as it's black because he didn't care about the bells and whistles. He just wanted to get the framework right and get it working. Then he kept adding on to it. And that's what you want to do. You want to figure out a person that you identify with, create a baseline sales process, write it out as a script. Yes, I said script, but remember your favorite actors are reading scripts. The difference is that they actually spend time learning it and embodying it. They're not even pretending to be themselves, right? You can learn a script and make it sound authentic. And when you do that, then all of a sudden that will seem easy and the bells and whistles will actually come at a very, very brisk pace. But you've got to be willing to move slower to catapult forward and start by doing a system-first methodology. System-first methodology. Okay, great. Well, while we have you, I also wanted to bring up this topic that we were discussing before we were recording about the power of stories and using stories in these discussions, these types of presentations. And I just wanted to dig into that and learn about structuring a story and and just digging into this idea, you know, of, of using stories. Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, stories are really powerful. And, you know, I spent a lot of time speaking, actually, I just got back from speaking in an event in Greece, who is, I mean, it's a tech organization. And I mean, even after reading their website, you're still confused about what they do. And I'm not going to mention the name for obvious reasons, sure. but yeah. they're an autonomous, uh, they're in, you know, an autonomous uh, development company. And basically, everything they do is AI, super cool technology. And if you communicate that in jargon, guess what? Everyone's overwhelmed and they need to go away and think about it. But if you tell a story about, I mean, the technology is amazing. If you tell a story about the problem that the person had at the start and the outcome it got to, people get it. It's tangible and they'll make decisions quickly. The sales cycles shrink dramatically and the closure rates go through the roof. Now, if you do that in finance, if you do that in technology, if you do that in medical supply sales, you pick your genre. Syndication's a great one because when you're thinking about syndication, by the way, we were jo- I was joking before, don't use the word syndication when you're out with the customer. Basically, when you say syndication, they hear, hey, I've got a great Ponzi scheme that I'd love you to invest in, <laughs> right? It's not a great word. To you, it's your industry, I get it, but to everyone else externally, the word sounds terrifying. 
right? But when you get to a story, there are a couple of things that happen. Firstly, there's a study out of Stanford that highlights that when we tell a story, it activates our reticular activating system of our brain. Now, for someone like me, when I speak from stage, I'm terrified as an introvert for the last 10 minutes. I like I speak to thousands of people, right? Every in an event. I speak to you know hundreds of thousands of people every year. And literally every time I have to say to the event organizer, look, before I go on stage, I'm going to be pacing a little bit. I'm going to be, dis- I'll disappear until five minutes before the event. I don't want you to think that this introvert's just run away. I promise I'll be back, but I need time to mentally get my, my headspace because what I'm doing is I'm practicing over and over again, my first lines, because once I get into the story, I feel comfortable. And the reason for that is the reticular activating system of my brain. When I tell, tell a story synchronizes with the reticular activating system of the brain of the listeners, which means we create artificial rapport that I can turn into real rapport. It's uncanny the relationship that that creates. Now, for an introvert that struggles with initial rapport, hugely powerful. The next thing is studies out of Princeton highlight that people remember up to 22 times more information when embedded into a story, which is cool for two reasons. Firstly, a story stops you from putting unnecessary jargon into it because otherwise the story doesn't make sense. So it limits how much I mean, of the story that you can tell, uh, you know, how much of the jargon you can tell in the story because you've got to make it relevant to the exact story, right? But it makes it tangible. I remember when I used to sell telecommunications, I'd go into a room sometimes with a guy that or a girl that had like 10 brochures from different telecommunications companies on their desk. And I would say to them, you know, I would tell them a story and I knew that they would remember probably more of what I told them than the other 10 salespeople combined because I told it as a story and that made it tangible and it fostered a great rapport. Now, for those people listening, you know, I, I do this thing from stage quite frequently. Like, 22 times, it's so hard to imagine. I, all right, I'll pick a volunteer and then I'll say, look, do me a favor. We need to give you three items at random to remember. And I'll, I'll pretend like I'm thinking because it's all pre-planned, right? So, because again, introverts plan and prepare. So I will say, all right, let me think about these items. Okay, here's... And of course, my Australian accent always plays up. Some people think I see I say chess. So I go, no, no, the thing you sit on, right? A chair, right? <laughs> then I'll say, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm getting better at practicing my R's. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'll say porridge. And then I'll say beds. And then I'll say to the person, okay, I don't want you to write these items down, but a year from now, I'm going to ask you what they are. Do you think you'll be able to remember? And everyone looks at me like your face there, right? No idea, no clue how I'm going to remember them, definitely not the order. And I'm like, really? You don't know the story of Goldilocks and the three bears? And they're like, bang, got it, right? I'm like, well, why is it that this story that we told years ago, we get instant recall, but you wouldn't remember the three inanimate items? And the answer is stories make things tangible. They make them memorable and they attach to the chronology of the story, which is even more powerful when you're trying to speak to someone that might need to go speak to their husband and wife afterwards, right? That brings you beyond the proposal, the multiple follow-up meetings. So stories are really powerful for those reasons. It also short circuits the logical mind. I've got a client that uh, sells to surgeons predominantly, and surgeons have a really developed logical mind. By the way, the logical part of the brain is the part that's going, that'll work for me, that won't, I don't have time for this, meeting over. The emotional part of the brain is the part that listens to stories. And when it hears a story, by the way, hugely logical thinkers tend to have a less developed emotional mind. So when when they hear a story, they literally go, story time, and they listen. And it literally short circuits the logical mind. They listen to the whole story. The best part is, and to go back to your question about how much of a story should be true, you have a duty of care here because they'll assume the entire story that you've told them is true. And therefore, make sure it's in their best interest. Make sure that it's true. 
right? Because you should have a great story of someone you worked with in the past that you got to a great result. If you never delivered a great result before, there's a little bit of an issue there, right? Go and get some more experience or tell them a great example of this would be and then tell them an example. You can use a fictitious story, but make sure that they're aware that this is an example. This isn't a customer that you actually worked with. But when you're telling this story, they'll assume all the detail is fact and all they listen to is the moral. And if the moral is we work with someone just like you that wanted what you want and we got them to an amazing result, they will see it as the only logical choice. Better than that, they see it as educational. They see it as inspirational as opposed to boring, which is what they would hear your jargon. And they'll see you as the only logical choice because they felt like it was tangible and they feel like they've got a great great relationship with you. Now, a great example of of, of that is, you know, I I will say that I worked with a guy, uh, we were talking about it beforehand, just Shane. And, uh, you know, Shane came to me, he's like, Matt, I have to tell you, like when I when I tell people that I'm in syndication, a lot of times they run for the hills. This is where the Ponzi scheme joke came in, right? Because it was one of my first syndication clients. And he sort of came to me and he's like, Matt, when I say the word Ponzi scheme, this always comes up. Like, what do I do? And I said, well, firstly, syndication is a a commoditized industry. Like if I go syndication, I can go syndication expert. I can find a whole bunch of them in my area across the globe, pick my favorite deals. And now while you've introduced me to the topic, I can use anyone else. I said, the last thing you want to do is compete in a crowded market. So you spend all this work convincing them that it's not a Ponzi scheme. And then they go shopping for the best person to work with. It's ridiculous. I said, what we need to do is sidestep that battle altogether. So what I did, and by the way, if you're not selling to a niche at this point, you've got a real big problem, right? Because you should understand the demographic of the clients that you're working with. And for Shane, he'd had a couple of clients that were surgeons because his his father-in-law was a surgeon. And funnily enough, by the way, for those people that don't know surgeons, they earn a ridiculous amount of money, right? They earn a ton of money, which is great except for the fact that they also create really expensive lives. Their kids go to Harvard. They've (laughs) got a spouse that has a really expensive lifestyle that they're worried may leave them if they don't make potentially as much money. They've got really expensive cars. They've got really expensive country clubs, really expensive houses. They go on holidays that are really expensive with all their really expensive friends. So they're in what's called the golden handcuffs, which is they have no idea how to retire at all. And then if they do retire, then they're going to be, you know, really struggling financially, not compared to what the, a lot of people would find financially hard, but they would consider it really difficult to live on. So because of that, they go to an investment seminar, they may buy a condo or a house, and because they've got less time than everyone else to invest in real estate and to really do their due diligence, they usually buy badly. Now they're the landlord on a property that's gone down in value, and this is their way to retirement, right? And they're already spending no time with their kids. So Shane loved working with these people. And while everybody else probably doesn't feel sorry for them, because <laughs> Shane had family that had that problem, he actually felt for them. Plus, I mean, in truth, they give a lot to a lot of people. They help a lot of people. Their brilliance actually saves a lot of lives. So he wanted to support them. I said, here's the thing. They have an unbelievably high level income, but not a high level of wealth, right? So What they can do, though, their high income affords them the opportunity to get involved in these syndication projects that then allow them to get a high level of wealth that then allows them to retire. I said, so we don't want to use the word syndication, but buy high, sorry, buy low, sell high, which is what they're doing, or buy low and then rent high, which is what they're doing. Well, there's another word for that, arbitrage, right? So I started to suggest that he called himself the arbitrage architect, which when he went and spoke to his father-in-law, he's like, what are you doing? You're a syndication specialist, right? Just call yourself that. 
When you use a different terminology or what I call a unified message, when you use a unified message, it's like going up to someone and saying, hey, I know you call me Matthew my whole life, but I want you to start calling me Bob. It just sounds confusing. <laughs> but to anyone that doesn't know you, they're like, oh, you're an arbitrage architect. What exactly is that? They lean forward as, a go, as opposed to going, oh, that's on the nose, sounds like a Ponzi scheme, and run for the hills, right? I call myself the rapid growth guy because if I say I'm in marketing, they go, oh, I need that. How much do you cost? And if I say I'm in sales, they're like, oh, yeah, I had a sales trainer before. Hate sales training. It's not going to work for me. They'll look at me like I'm one step above a scam artist, which, by the way, you're one step below me in Ponzi schemes if you introduce yourself <laughs> as, as, as a syndication specialist, right? So all of a sudden, he started to do this. And then he started, what I found with Shane is he would start educating a customer. He felt like it was a job to teach them about syndication. A customer doesn't want to hear that. It's overwhelming. You don't download 10 years, five years, six months worth of education about syndication to a client. Because now, firstly, they'll go and do it with someone else if they've got a better deal. But secondly, they'll go home scratching their head and going, I'm too busy for this. That's exhausting. So you introduce yourself as into unified message here. I say I'm the rapid growth guy. Shane calls himself the arbitrage architect. Somebody says, what exactly is that? I recommend what I call a passion mission statement. We'll talk about that in a second. And then you'll say, let me give you an example. And then you'll tell a story of someone just like them who probably wanted what they wanted. If you know your niche, you can go to networking events or online, you connect with people that are like those people. And then you'll share a story of someone like them that probably wanted what they want because you know your niche and how you got them to an amazing result. Beyond all the jargon that way, it builds rapport. And at the end, they're going to be open to taking advantage of your free resources. They're going to be open in a networking room of having a follow-up conversation to then talk about whether or not you can potentially help them, which you then don't fill their head with jargon. You share another story and then you move them into becoming a client after talking about your packaging. So story is really, really powerful because what it does is it gets you out of educating a client, filling their head with jargon and commoditizing yourself because a unified message stops you even putting a word to what you do, which puts you in a marketplace of one. You become the only logical choice. A story means that no matter who you compete against, they're like, you know what? This person, it just felt more tangible. I felt like I had a better relationship with them and I feel like I get it more. So regardless of whether they're more expensive, which all my clients tend to be, I'm going to work with them regardless. And that's why a story is so powerful. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. Interesting. Okay, so we're very short on time here. I'm sure we're not going to get to the three questions I asked every guest on the show, but oh well, because I have another follow-up for you. Positive versus negative stories. Again, we're super short on time, very cognizant of that. But, you know, I have a particular story that we don't need to get into now, but it's in the syndication space, the dreaded word, but it's negative. Things went wrong. We still made money, but things went wrong. What are your thoughts about a negative story? I love negative stories. So here's the thing. I've, I've got one client that uh, did an implementation and it went horribly wrong. 
And, you know, it didn't go horribly wrong during the implementation. It went horribly wrong later when something happened. And that's a great opportunity to really show the person you are, right? Or the organization you are, because this is a billion dollar organization. And the story basically says we fixed the problem and we, we made sure we did this huge investment to make sure it never happens again. That's the kind of organization we are. That's a really positive story. You know, I've got a, a building client that I work with that, you know, we took from, I think, six to just over 30 million in the space of two years. And their story that worked for them tremendously well was actually a story about a person that did not go with them. And the story goes that, you know, they didn't go with them many years ago and they went with another builder that was cheaper per square foot. And then they met them at an open house and he's like, oh, I'm... I really wish I went with you. It turns out it ended up more expensive because there were lots of hidden fees later. It blew out in time. And the follow, and then later, they ended up going with them and they're now so happy that they did, right? The story, remember, with if you say a story off the cuff, by the way, it's always going to go badly because you're never going to put your best foot forward. So if you tell a negative story, it's probably going to come across negative. But with planning and preparation, you can make anything sound amazing. So what you do is you word it the right way. You make sure you structure it. You make sure the moral's right. You've got to do it with planning and preparation. You can make a story that went wrong sound fantastic. Now, truthfully, that specific story may not be the story you use in the initial sales pitch, right? The story that you're really using is for when you get an objection. Now, when you get an objection, you might want to say something like, I perfectly understand. The last thing I want to do is waste any of your time. However, and then lean into a story. And then a story, the objection might be, yeah, but what if that's all sounds great if it goes right, but what if it goes wrong? Well, now we've got a wonderful story for that. Now, by the way, perfectly understand, right? I've heard you, which for the extroverts, listen. For the introverts, (laughs) tell them that you've heard them as opposed to showing a concerned face for I, the last thing I want to do is under, uh, waste any of your time. I get that you're busy. However, is what's called an additional term. If you say, I under, perfectly understand, last thing I want to do is waste any of your time, but that's a, subtra- a tr- subtraction term. It means everything I said before this, I didn't mean. Now let me tell you what I really think. Don't believe me? For the men listening, go home, tell your wives, do you look beautiful in that dress, but, and see what happens. <laughs> the word, however, means that I meant everything I said before, Now, could I just add this a little additional item of information for you? Now, that is where you would segue into what I would call an objection handling story, which is something that allows you to put yourself under the bus a little bit to make them feel comfortable that even the worst case is still a really positive scenario. Awesome. I love it. I really appreciate you joining us today. Like I said, we're pretty much up on the end of your availability here. And I appreciate you being a well, sharing so much information with us today, your energy and everything else. If folks want to reach out, if they want to learn more, find any of your content or anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking. So obviously you can type Matthew Pollard into the Google and it comes up everywhere. Um, you can obviously check out my website, but what I would recommend for everybody, and my publisher hates me when I say this, as I said before, you don't need to buy my book. Go to theintrovertsedge.com, download the first chapter, and then fix your sales process. As I said, if you do nothing more than grab the seven steps, put your, what you already say into that and fix the problems like I highlighted, you will double your sales in the next 60 days. Now, for those people that don't even have leads, I would suggest my second book, The Introvert's Edge to Networking, because for those people, I always see this, you know, if you can't articulate the value of what you provide when someone's politely listening to you in a networking room, you have no chance online when people give you a fraction of a second. I'll tell you the secret or I'll, I'll let go of the, the thing I'm try- I, I teach in my networking book. My whole book is about making you masterful in the networking room so you never have to go back to one. 
Because when you're crystal clear in a networking room and it works amazingly well, you can then leverage the power of automation to be amazing online. But if you do it the way you currently do it in a networking room, guess what? You'll be blogging every day, taking a photo of your donut just so you've got something to say, right? You don't want, if you don't want to be that busy online, you need to master the networking room first. And to get leads, especially in syndication, there's no better way to start than in the networking room. So definitely check out, you know, uh, the introvertsedge.com forward slash networking. Again, you'll be able to download the first chapter. I'll break you free of believing that you can network as an introvert. And then I will show you uh, an entirely different strategy. And again, grab the chapter headings, build it out yourself. You don't need to buy the book for that. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate that so much, you guys. That gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling every single time because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. I want to thank you for tuning in once again right now. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.